We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how we doing tonight? Ivy Nation Sports Talk is up and rolling as always. I'm Sean Styers, joined by Jesse Styers tonight. It is mailbag night. How are you today, Jess? Uh, I'm glad to be on the show. It's actually been a pretty crappy day of work. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to doing the show and then going to get a nice walk in with the dog after this. Just kind of let things oh, Very ease, ease out of me. I feel like it's just been just been one of those days. Stressful week of work. But here we are. It's it's good to talk about nerding football. It's uh it's light and it's fun. So I'm excited to see what everyone comes up with today in the mailbag. Well, it hasn't been very light so far this week, but we'll see how light <laughs> it is tonight. You know, we haven't had a chance to to get some of your thoughts. Usually you're on Tuesday, but Vince had something come up, so you guys switched days and and you're in for the mailbag tonight. So We've already got a lot of questions sitting in the queue that we're going to get to. And, of course, if you have questions as you're logging in on YouTube, throw them our way. And while you're logging in, of course, hit that like button, rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff. Plenty of stuff to talk about. You know, we've had a lot of hand-wringing and stuff this week. And I don't blame people. You know, like the other night at the end of the show, I was talking, I, I think this was Monday, I was Vince and I were talking and I'm like, man, there's a lot of activity in this chat. People just, you know, zing, 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 going back and forth. And salty Virginia peanuts, you know, he he was, I think we had just finished the show before I saw his comments and he said, Hey, you know, we're, you know, we're not, we're not being bad here or whatever, you know, something along those lines. And I didn't mean it in a bad way. It's just like there's just a lot, you know, what you would expect, especially if you you lose to Marshall and you're 0-2 and you, you know, after the offseason that they had and everything else, there was just a lot of activity going on. But uh, shoot us your questions tonight. Jess, uh, I, I guess just for starters, since this is your first day this week on the show, just, you know, some of your thoughts on what was a very unfortunate day out there Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate when you you do a pregame show and you predict that Notre Dame's going to win about forty-one to ten and uh, <laughs> end up losing to Marshall. You know, watching that game, it, it was it was just very tough to watch. And I know, I, I think I texted you at some point in the third quarter and I said Marshall's going to win this game. You could just kind of feel it, you know, coming down towards the end and you know the struggles that Freeman had closing the game last week. I, I just didn't have any confidence with how things were going that he was going to, you know finish that game out against Marshall and it's just 
you know, Marshall didn't do anything. I think that was out of the ordinary. You know, I've talked to you about this. I thought Marshall executed the exact same game plan that they did the week before against Norfolk State. Uh, you know, they, they wanted to get out fast and establish a run game. They have two really good running backs, actually. And Laybourne is individually in the top 10 as a, as a runner in the country right now uh, in, in rushing yards. Um, and then, obviously, they wanted to build the RPO game off of that, quick passes and, and things of those nature. So I guess I, I'm, I'm more kind of concerned with why Notre Dame didn't come out and try to suffocate them defensively, get up in their face. You know, the, the, the way you take away a lot of those RPO reads is you get, you know, you're jamming the wide receivers off the line of scrimmage, you're playing man-on-man, man, uh, and you're putting guys in the box. And, and, and I guess, I, yeah, I'm just so surprised that that wasn't the game plan coming in is, you know, when they have when their offense relies so much on the short game, you have to do things to get in their face and be aggressive and make them beat you, you know, burn you in man or beat you. You know, I would have rather seen Notre Dame give up an 80 yard touchdown on, you know, on, on a go route or something uh, and, and a guy beat man than, than them get continuously beat in that kind of short run game RPO game. So, you know, that was very frustrating defensively. I thought the defense didn't play horrible, but I thought they definitely could have. Uh, played better and they just got to start creating turnovers at some point That's you got you got to yep. start taking possessions away from from the other team giving you know your offense is struggle, struggling you want to give them extra opportunities while taking an opportunity uh, you know away from the other team because realistically you're only going to have about 10 to 11 possessions you know 10 11 15 however many possessions per game depending on you know pace of offense and all that kind of thing so you really got to capitalize on taking away some some possessions and then giving your offense added possessions so that that's just been kind of the frustrating part about the defense uh, right now. They have a lot of good players and they are doing you know a lot of things majority well. But in a game like last week, you know when you when the offense is struggling like that, you you got to clamp down. You got to find ways to bail your offense out and you know help win that game as as much as possible. And obviously, offense giving up that third down deep in, you know, oh. Marshall territory. And I know that like you were talking about you. you you watch some of that film that they had from when they played Norfolk State the week before, and you saw on film exactly what they were doing on that play. And exactly. Notre Dame was just clueless everywhere. You know, everyone jumped on the play fake, and the play, you know, obviously not, you know, not just a play fake, but a counter play fake, basically. And the, you know, the play goes the other way. They pick up first down, and it, it's the, uh, you know, the, the the first part of a ninety-four yard touchdown drive that that ultimately won the game for them. Yeah, and what's disappointing about that really is that comes down to, to assignment football. And that off, and you know, with their offense and their RPOs coming off like that, everyone's got to be accounted for. So it that's just a mental error defensively. You know, guys, guys needed to combo cover that that uh, that that H back, you know, leaking out of the of, out of the backfield. And you know, it, it's just it was not good. And yeah, ultimately that was the backbreaker. They had them third and long you know, inside their own 10 yard line. And then they get that first down. And that was, that was like the domino, really that domino fell and the, the offense just kind of wasn't going to be stopped after that. So that was really frustrating to see on defense. And then like I was, you know, offensively, you know, Buckner and the, and the, the run game and everything is still struggling. They're not, they don't have any consistency. That doesn't seem like they're designing, you know, their play calling is, is fully utilizing some of their best players, like a guy like Chris Tyree or, you know, getting wide receivers out there that can really help. I, I it just seems that they're struggling uh, a lot right now. And and then also another perspective I took at is, you know, were we we as fans and and Notre Dame supporters 
expecting kind of too much out of this this season already because you got to look at it in the fact that Tyler Buckner is a first-time quarterback, you know, playing at Notre Dame. You got to look at this as Marcus Freeman's first tenure as a head coach, and there's a lot of you know turnover in the coaching staff, offensively and defensively, and you know establishing schemes and those kind of things. There's a lot going into this transition year, so were we expecting kind of too much? And then you know, but ex- expectations are not. You can't now. lose to Marshall at home. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Expecting too much. And expecting to beat Marshall are two completely separate things. You know, right. may, maybe the expectations were lofty, but it's much more. It, you know, even as tough as it is to to lose the Ohio State game the way it ended up being lost, especially that's still easier to stomach than coming home and laying a complete egg like that because we just we thought that was a thing of the past. We hadn't seen that kind of thing since 2016. It had all been cleaned up over the last five years and. You know, it rears its ugly head again. You know, it's 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 valid whether or not maybe the expectations were too high for a first-year head coach and a first-time quarterback, you know, starting quarterback and all that stuff. But We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You know, there were some people, even even some of the diehard fans who still saw nine and three, eight and four. And I think a lot of people might be signing up for nine and three, eight and four at this point. I hate to laugh, but I mean, that's all you really can do at this point. It is mailbag night. So let's get to the mailbag questions from uh, our listeners slash viewers joining in in the chat tonight. Tyler, you know, this is kind of something we were touching on a little bit ago with the defense what do you think will get the first team turnover on our defense it says term I I think he means team turnover I'm gonna say Isaiah Foskey is gonna play a part in it one way or another Isaiah Foskey who finally got his first sack last week I'm gonna say Isaiah Foskey who forced six fumbles last year a lot of strip sacks that he had last year we haven't seen that so far and this is a Cal quarterback, Jack Plummer, who, of course, played for Purdue last year at Notre Dame Stadium. Now he's with Cal, so he'll be coming back. He's a quarterback, even though Cal has won their first two games against UC Davis and UNLV, 
They've given up six sacks in those two games. So I'm going to say Isaiah Foskey, either a strip sack or, you know, he's he's getting pressure on Plummer and forces Plummer to throw errantly someplace and it's intercepted slash, you know, something. Isaiah Foskey's going to play into it. If I'm going to predict, I'm going to go with Isaiah Foskey because I think that guy is seeing red meat right now. He wants to get after somebody and uh, he wants to get to the quarterback. And I think that Isaiah is going to play a part in the first turnover that has caused this season. You know, I, I like where, what, what you're thinking there. I personally am going to go with a interception within the secondary. Um, and I think the, the, the bright spot or the best part of this defense is going to come through yet again. I think Tariq Bracey is going to get some sort of inf- or, you know interception, create maybe a, a fumble of some sorts. I like the way he's playing. Good players happen to find, you know, situations fall in their lap because they're playing so hard and so well all the time. And, you know, I, I think between Tariq Bracey and Brandon Joseph, I think one of those guys gets uh, the first turnover via interception this weekend uh, against Cal. I, I really like Tariq Bracey, though. I like that he's always around the ball. He's a playmaker. He wants to be, you know, he wants to be in the play. He doesn't shy away from that. Um, and, and like I said, I feel like good things will continue to kind of fall his way naturally just based on how he's playing. Iris Shaitan wants to know if Chris Smith is injured. He did get dinged up a little bit uh, in the game last week. It sounded, and we'll get an update on that tomorrow when Marcus Freeman does his Thursday press conference. He was asked about it Monday and did say dinged up, but I, you know, kind of sounded like it was one of those see how it goes the first few days of practice. It didn't sound serious, but at the same time, you know, it is an injury, so you just never know. We'll get an update on that tomorrow you know hopefully to the extent because they need him right you know he's played solidly he doesn't have huge stats but you don't expect that you know from the guy in the middle like Howard Cross is just killing it right now 14 tackles for a defensive tackle not too bad but uh, yeah so we'll see we'll see what happens with with Chris Smith and hopefully get an update on him I'm try- I can't remember off the top of my head but it, it didn't didn't sound overly serious but again we'll we'll uh We'll see what we can uh, find out, hopefully, tomorrow for Marcus Freeman. Um, I wanted to get to some of these Drew Pine questions, since that is obviously a big topic of conversation. Do you think has a Pine has a better chance of throwing three touchdowns or three interceptions Saturday? I would say it depends on who's playing wide receiver. <laughs> DMND13. Uh, we all want to see Tobias Merriweather, I think. And there's a question in the queue about Tobias as well, um, what we have seen so far from the wide receivers groups, you know, in combination, obviously, with who was the quarterback, we haven't seen a lot of plays being made. And, you know, when you have a group one that was, you know, a big question mark coming into the season, and you've got guys like Colsey, who is still injured, we haven't seen much of Joe Wilkins, you know, like you've seen more of Salerno, obviously, Lindsey, and Styles. <sighs> Unfortunately, right now, I have to lean <laughs> toward the interceptions. That's not what I want, but this is a pretty good Cal defense. And we saw on a pretty simple play, Drew Pine throw that interception. The other day. So until he proves otherwise, because the last two times I've seen Drew Pine uh, and really 
there was an interception that he threw, I think on the very first, you know, very first day of, of fall training camp as well. Now, you know, that's not, not live like a game, but go back to the blue gold game. The interception he threw to Jordan Botello in the blue gold game was almost identical to what he did Saturday. So maybe, maybe this lights a fire under Drew Pine. Maybe we get a more confident Drew Pine because even though he was still around a 50% quarter, you know, passer last year, he didn't turn the ball over. So let's hope that that takes care of itself. He's talked a lot about, you know, watching film and jumping in the film room and things go wrong and all that stuff. Unfortunately, though, for right now, considering the fact that there's been a one touchdown thrown and three interceptions by the team, the numbers say the interceptions are more likely to happen. I, on the other hand, I'm going to go with. I you're going to go better. the more optimistic route. <laughs> no, I'm going to. This is optim. This is optimism, and this is this is backed science. Science backed belief. Um, I think that. Uh, I think that. I think that Pine. I don't think Pine will throw three interceptions, but I also don't think he'll throw three touchdowns. I think he has a higher chance of of throwing more interceptions than touchdowns. Um, but I, I, I think there is a higher chance of him throwing three touchdowns. I think that the offense is going to do things to kind of limit uh, his potential, you know, not not quite the extent of what was going on with Buckner in game one because they need to get the ball going. Um, but I think there's going to be play calls that are designed around him not being in the in a situation to interceptions. I just looked up Cal's passing defense. They rank about, you know, middle of the country. They give up about 250 yards a game which is, you know, they haven't played anyone of great significance. You said UNLV, and I forget who the other team was. So, you know, we're not UC talking Davis. about UC Davis. We're not talking yeah. blazing offenses there. I think yeah. that I think that Pine could sit right at that average, about 250 yards, maybe a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with I have more optimism in, in him to, to, to throw the three touchdowns rather than to throw the three interceptions. Are we going to see an interception? Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. But are we going to see three interceptions? No, I don't think so. I mean, nobody wants to see that, but, you know, again, I, I, I'll be really curious to see what Tommy Reese and, you know, what he decides to do with the offense. I think going tempo, more like a, what we saw with the Jack Cohen offense last year would greatly help out Drew Pine, especially the way the offensive line has been so far. And maybe that kind of helps get the, the, the run game going. But we need to see Drew Pine have the best possible players around him and the ability to get the ball in their hands. Chris Tyree, Tobias Merriweather. I want to see Tobias Merriweather so one way or another. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people do. You're 0-2. You know, you lost at home to Marshall. You're trying to redeem yourself. Why are we not just putting the best players out there at this point? What is there really to lose at this point in the season when you're, you know, you're struggling? I know you're trying to establish a lot of things and, and that's fine, but you know, it gets to a point and I've, I'm always a big proponent and you put your best athletes out in the field. You know, you can't even, you don't have to play Merriweather the entire game, put him in packages that he's comfortable with. He doesn't need to be in on everything. You can play in 10 to 15, even, you know, even 20 snaps or whatever. I'll just, I'll, I'll say this because when Golden Tate was a freshman and even I think somebody who was a sophomore quarterback on that team has told me you know, that was back in the Charlie Weiss days, obviously. But Golden didn't know the whole offense either. But Golden had a skill set you can't teach. It's called speed. And he had pretty good hands as well. going up and getting the ball. That's right. They make so bad passes, they do, good passes. What they would do to compensate for the fact that he didn't know everything is, okay, Golden, now you're on the field. But no matter, you know, whether it's, 
fielder boundary where you know wherever the ball is, whatever's closest to our sideline, that's where you're going to line up. And the coaches would literally stand there, you know, a few yards away from Golden Tate, telling him what he was supposed to do on that play. If you want to make it happen, you can, you know, you can make it happen. It's not that complicated. It, I, I realize there are route concepts, and you know, like if a guy runs a route that he's not supposed to run, it can lead to a, you know, a turnover. Those kind of things, but speed, size, athleticism, all these different things, things that are lacking right now. Tobias Merriweather needs to find his way onto the field at that W spot because he has something that the rest of the group of receivers doesn't have right now. They got to find a way to get him out there. Again, it doesn't have to be, you know, the full arsenal, but you got to find a way to get him out there 10, 15 times a game. Yeah, I mean, even if he knows the streak route, design him putting running the street route, right. streak route, tell him to run straight, Go. and it's still at least a decoy, and it's still a, an option. Just in, you know, if it's there, like it, I agree with what Drunk Vigo just said. You don't have to be a genius when you've got the athlete. I think that's exactly right. I think you, you just got to get these guys on the field, especially at this point in this. There's nothing you can't do anything worse than losing to Marshall the way you lost to Marshall at home. Just to me, there's nothing to lose. I also liked what uh, Tom Frowley said. Um, you know, use the middle third of the field a lot. I, you know how much I love that seam route to Mayer. I think that's more there, especially when you're mixing in the RPO look. And then if you're leaking Tyree down the seam, that's who, who are you guarding in that situation? And that's that you, you get know, a linebacker on guys Mayer. on the field at the same time. Yeah, plus Michael Mayer. <laughs> I mean, that's now now you're now you're causing some concern at three different levels. Oh my, yeah. If you got if you got Merriweather, Tyree, and 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 uh sorry, uh Mayor on the field, this who who are you that's like picking and choosing who you're gonna guard there because those are you could argue those are the three some of the three best athletes in the offensive group right now. Yes. Uh Brian, I just wanted to address this. He says, Didn't West Virginia lose to Kansas as well? The answer, of course, is yes. That was my upset special last week. I think West Virginia was favored by 13 and a half. I said, I didn't know if Kansas would win, but they would at least cover. And they went to Morgantown and they pulled off the victory. Lance Leopold, give it to him, baby. Good start. Good start. Do the people know your alma mater? I think some people know that that's my alma mater. It's like when Kansas wins a game, you've got to celebrate it, especially when it's a conference. You know when the next win. one's coming. That's right. That's right. That's right. Tyler, glad to see the Steyer's family back on IB. Thank you very much. And Tommy Guns uh, had a comment earlier saying uh, welcome back, and I do appreciate that as well, Tommy. Uh, let's let's go to a Tobias question. If Tobias gets significant playing time Saturday and has six catches for 108 yards, two touchdowns, how fun will the postgame show be to watch? <laughs> if that happens, I don't even know what Brian Driscoll would do Brian and, and Vince will probably, you know, like have their shirts off and, you know, doing you know, all kinds of, of dancing. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You would want to tune in. Now that would have to be coupled of course with a win, not just those numbers, but that would have to be coupled with a win as well. But uh, I, I agree. I think that that would be a reason for uh, some excitement if that happens. Uh, another DM, ND13. What do you think is realistically the absolute best-case scenario for a score Saturday? I'll let you take this one first, Jess. Um, realistically, the absolute best scenario is having one more point than the other team. <laughs> At this point, 
I don't care if it is 51 to 50, if it is 61 to 60, if it's 11 to 10, I really don't care. I think the realistic outcome, best case scenario, is them finding a way to get the first dub. I think in a lot of people's heads right now, I think it is definitely in Marcus Freeman. It is bothering Bar Marcus Freeman. Uh, you know, I, I know he thinks about it. He has to think about it. So any score where the, Notre Dame has one more point, but that's what I would say to take it a step further. I would like to see around, you know, a 31 to 10 score. Um, but you know, it's, it's just a win. Like if this, if this, if Marshall didn't happen last week, I would, I, I would say, you know, 34 to 10, but after seeing last week and everything that happened, I just want to see a win. I think they just need to get that off their chest. I think that'll, you know, take a big weight off everyone's shoulders and you'll kind of see everyone breathe just a little bit. And I think you'll see momentum kind of going forward. I think this first domino is their hardest, but I think it can really help, you know, the rest of their dominoes fall after this. Yeah, it feels right now. I don't know. I don't think I don't think Cal is going to score a lot. I don't have them breaking 20 in this game. But, you know, on the countdown show wins. Saturday, countdown show Saturday, I didn't have Cal and Marshall combined breaking 20 points. Oops. You know, <laughs> that that obviously happened but the pick six plays into that as well but at the same time it, it it's just feeling like Notre Dame's defense can't give up much more than you know 18 19 points right now and feel like they can win there is a lot on this defense right now and you know as much as there are some issues that you talked about early in the show Jesse um and Tom has a comment, the defense not fundamentally sound. The coaches need to make sure the linebackers uh, aren't catching blocks or filling gaps. Foskey and Mills need to be in three-point stance. It, it just uh, – it, it feels like the offense is contributing to some of the issues. You're moaning and groaning. Go ahead. Go for it. You've got the defensive <laughs> background, middle linebacker. It's just a little – It's. A, I understand the frustration, but it's a little aggressive. Like the defense is playing <laughs> fundamentally sound – there are times when I see linebackers catching blocks, though. Well, That's yeah. got to annoy you when you see well, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everything. He, what Tom is saying is wrong. I'm just saying it's a little like hyper aggressive. Like, yes, are the linebackers catching catching blocks? Usually means that you're not really there on your reads. You're kind of thinking about too much, and the next thing you got an offensive lineman kind of in your face. Um, and yeah, they definitely need to be shedding blocks better and, and getting into their gaps where they need to be. And I think that's a lot of times what people don't realize on the defensive side of the ball is 10 guys are doing something just so the, the one guy can make a play most of the time. You know, the defense is usually, usually designed to funnel the play to maybe, you know, one, maybe two different players. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. These linebackers need to be better at their play recognition um, and they need they need to, to, to be better about shedding blocks and getting into their gaps. But, you know, fundamentally, they know what they're doing. They, you know, these these guys are playing well, especially the secondary. You know, secondary has played tremendously. I just think that the biggest issue right now defensively uh, and offensively, and I'll, I kind of keep saying this a lot, is, you know, their trenches need to lead the way for them. Their, their guys it. up front need to establish the tone and get that push. And I don't think defensively they're getting that push right now. The, these guys need to play more aggressive. They need to be in the backfield. There's no reason that these teams – should be running on them like this. And that starts up front in the trenches. These defensive linemen need to be aggressive off the snap of the ball. And I think the same thing goes for the offenses. They need to get that push going first. You know, it, it, when you know you're struggling, you, you know, just getting that first initial punch that wears down guys throughout the entire game. So 
I, I'm most most disappointed defensively with yes, the you know the the, the lack of tackling and the and the, the linebackers play recognition, but also more more so the defensive line not establishing the tone and, and really punishing some guys because I thought that that would be one of their biggest strengths this year. Yeah, and piggybacking on that, Tyler wants to know: Do you think Notre Dame's defense has confidence in the offense due to the lack of production the past two games? And no, and this that, is kind of that slippery slope, you know. It's where you, tough. It's tough yeah. when. You know, you, you're you're out there, and you know <laughs> your offense isn't doing much for you. You know, it's, it's it's demoralizing as a defense to be like, oh, here we go again. The offense, you know, went three and out, or you know, whatever it might be. You you feel that pressure to get that stop because you know your offense isn't going to score many points. So every possession almost feels like the critical possession, and that's not the way you want your defense to play because then it's just it's not loose, it's not flowing, it's not you know, fun. And that's when guys play at their best is when, when you're not thinking that's when, that's when you're thinking, you know, when you're playing at your best. So it it definitely has an impact, whether guys want to say it or naturally if guys, you know, they probably don't even recognize it because of just how the game is going. I don't think that they realize, you know, how, how the rest of the offense is kind of impacting their play. Well, and you know, I was saying it's a slippery slope and when one unit feels like it is, far outperforming the other unit, then you do have a great risk of, you know, fraction within the team. But, you know, again, like when you go to there, there, there are faults on both sides of the ball. The defense can tackle better. You know, they can make plays when they need to get off the field on third and 10, when you've got them pinned inside, you know, their, their own 10 yard line and the game is on the line and you've got, you know, you've got a chance to put the game away, you know, but then then the flip side, when an off, offensive lineman jumps on third and three and now it's third and eight and you end up punting instead of you know maybe converting a first down and again have a chance to put the game away so there's there's blame on both sides of the ball I get where maybe you know a little bit more you know the defense could feel a little bit more toward the offense but there there's there, there are things that both sides of the ball need to do better there's no doubt about that right now uh irish blooded i know i'm late saying it glad to see you back sorry to hear what happened very sorry to see you missed the mishawaka northridge game amazing game thank you irish blooded it was i know it's like overtime game and that that was uh the day that it all went down a couple of weeks ago but uh mishawaka bounced back last week and and uh put the smack down on gushin and um they're going to be hosting plymouth in a couple of nights so i'll be back out there for the Plymouth game. Looking forward to getting back out there at Steel Stadium this weekend. But thank you uh, very much once again. Let's see. Here's here's a here's one for you. Hypothetical question from Mike. <laughs> Say we lose this week, and it's because of not adjusting in game to win. Will we be having a serious conversation about the coaching staff? I just think that. Those kind of conversations, like serious conversations that you're talking about, like they're, you know, like I, I assume you're saying, you know, like is Jack Swarbrick going to be, you know, really having a serious internal conversation about what he is going to do with this coaching staff? I don't think we're, we're still only going to be three games into the season. So I, I think that what is happening in September is going to be far less relevant than what is happening in November. Like, do we start to see gradually some of these things 
start to iron themselves out? Do we see better execution? So far, you know, you're right. And we've talked about it here before. There need to be better in-game adjustments that haven't necessarily taken place. But we also haven't seen like the stupendous, you know, misjudgment, you know, like Nathaniel Hackett, we, you know, we talked about this, you know, with the, with the Broncos and the Seahawks at the end of the game, attempting the 64 yard field goal. Now he did come back and mea culpa and say, well, I, you know, I should have gone for it and all that stuff, but you didn't go for it. We haven't seen Marcus Freeman make that kind of decision. I think that would be a lot more distressing because again, first time head coach, there's going to be some learning on the job. You do want to see more consistent adjustments being made as things happen, especially since you know he does come up from a defensive coordinator background, where as a defensive coordinator, you have to make those adjustments, you know, not just series to series, but but play to play. You know, so you would think that that would be something that would be you know a a, a higher, I don't know, skill set, but you know that he would be a little bit more adapt at. But I just I just think that. Again, I don't think snap judgments are going to be made in September. It's going to be much more about how this team progresses over the course of the season, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that Marcus Freeman will be judged on on a three-game, you know, uh, stand. I think that Jack Schwarbrick and, and any athletic director kind of give you a larger sample size than that um, in at least a year. I, I And I really don't think, you know, I, I, I understand the question, Um but really, I don't think that this season will continue to go on kind of how it is. I think, you know, someone just brought up a good point. Brian Kelly started one and three uh, and finished eight and five. I mean, there are plenty of coaches that have started out their careers, at, you know, maybe career in general or starting in a new, you know, school where they kind of start slow. And then the, it, it might not even be in that first year. The second year they get, you know, you see some more success and you see, you know, national championship contention in year three kind of, you know, situation. So I just don't think that his leash is going to be that short. And, you know, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't look good for the program either. Uh, when you're already considering, you know, getting rid of a coach in his first year after one year, I just think that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of transition. There's a first time head coach um, and all of those things are going to be factored in. So no, I, I don't think that Marcus Freeman has anything really to worry about, you know, even if, they lose again this week to Cal. And, you know, I, I just think that he will be given a larger sample size to kind of prove what he can do. Yeah. First time head coaches are going to make some, uh, make at least one boneheaded call, but there can't be many. I was shy to, I would agree with that. Uh, Jeffrey says adjustments have been made. The execution has not been there or improper reads are made. That's that I, I I think that that's probably closer to hitting it on the head is there's just been so much overall lack of execution. Like when you look at the offensive line, it's not like there is just one offensive lineman who's holding everything back. It's like from play to play, you've got one guy maybe, you know, making a mistake. And when you make a mistake like that as an offensive lineman, that's the whole unit, you know, the whole thing breaks down. So it's, it's essentially guys, you know, have, unfortunately taken turns with with some of those errors it's I mean it really is execution and that is troubling and what's most troubling about the offensive line is this is Harry Heastand and like you know again like 
I guess you can really only glean so much from practice because there was nothing watching that unit in practice and watching Harry Heastan kind of back to his old ways, you know, vintage Harry from when he was here previously. I just would not have thought that we would see what we're seeing right now from this group, but we are. And it's, it's, it's been lack of execution at, at different levels and by just different guys on any given play. That's what's troubling, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing that kind of needs to be brought up or touched on is, yeah, Notre Dame did things, you know, didn't execute at a level in which, you know, is a standard for Notre Dame football. But Marshall did a lot of things good, you know, this past weekend. And I think they're going to continue to do a lot of good things in this season and, and go on to have, you know, a really good record. They have a really good head coach. They have really good talent. You know, during the game, that it was brought up they had 24 Division One, you know, transfers coming in. They got guys coming from Florida State, other Power Five conferences. Like, they have a good coach. They play well to their personnel. They have a good scheme offensively and defensively. And you look at their schedule, you know, it, it, it's not uberly tough. Notre Dame is going to be the hardest team that they play this season. So I just think that, yes, Notre Dame has not executed, and they did not look good against Marshall. Marshall did execute and they did they did some things well and I think that Marshall is a solid team so I don't think there you know there is some solace in that in my opinion. they're a solid team but you still have to win <laughs> no you no yeah that's what I'm saying I'm not ex, not excusing yeah. the loss by any means they needed to win that game but it, it's not like Marshall was Appalachian State here you know they play in the same conference yeah but I I just don't think that Marshall is quite as embarrassing or bad as what people might think like when this season ends and we look back on it. I think we'll say, you know, should we have lost to Marshall? No, but they were a pretty solid team. So that's just what I was trying to say. More on Marshall coming up in our rapid fire segment a little bit later. C-Mac says he asked Brian but ran out of time on the show today, so I'll ask you guys, should Tyler Buckner hire a quarterback coach and polish recognition and ball placement and mechanics to come back strong next year? I don't think, like, some of the stuff you're talking about, recognition – you know, those kind of things, I think that's more like you, you got to be in that film room and you just got to you, you, you got to figure it out. To me, more of his problems are, you know, and again, I know everyone wants to talk about the mechanics of his throw and and, you know, like if he's a little bit, you know, got a little bit more touch on a couple of those deep balls the other day, then the game is different and stuff like that. I think that you're probably complicating things by getting a third party involved because I, I don't think, you know, we've talked about his mechanics before, you know, like Philip rivers didn't have great looking mechanics, but as long as it got from point A to point B, that was okay with Tyler Buckner. I think more of his stuff, you know, like all the check with me stuff, for example, at the line of scrimmage and the play clock winding down and stuff like that. They're helping out a young inexperienced quarterback who needs help because he doesn't, recognize what's going on with the defense sometimes I think that's the bigger thing so to me it's more film study and those kind of things are going are going to go farther for Tyler Buckner than you know a personal coach and and you know getting into mechanics and all that kind of stuff because we know that can go sideways once once you get into that especially once you're a college quarterback Jess what's what do you think um I appreciate the question but I think it's just you're thinking about it a little too deep I think that, you know, there, there's nothing, like you were saying, <laughs> like every hitter, every pitcher, every quarterback, it doesn't really matter how you do it. It matters what the end result is. I think Tyler Buckner, end result, the ball getting there, there's no issues with that. I think that 
that that his issue and and what would fix a lot of what he's got going on in these first two games is just more experience. You got to be out there. You got to see the timing of your wide receivers against defenses. You got to see the plays kind of naturally develop. And you just got to gain that confidence that you can throw that 40-yard bomb and hit it on the spot. Um, So I just think that experience has to be the number one thing that Tyler Buckner needed. And it really sucks because I think that this, you know, something that hasn't been really super talked about quite yet, and I'm kind of surprised, is this puts Notre Dame in a real predicament because now you have, you know, a quarterback that was going to get a full year of experience this year. He's not going to get that. Um, and who was, you know, probably going to be your starter for, you know, the ex- upcoming years. Now he's losing out on a whole year. You have to develop your offense right. with the guy that you didn't, that wasn't your starter. So obviously it's not the guy that you wanted to develop your team with, you know, for the future. And you have some bigger names coming in up and coming. So I really think that this sets back Notre Dame more so than Tyler Buckner gets set back because, you know, they needed to establish their quarterback and their quarterback needed to be established that he was Notre Dame's starting quarterback and settle into that and get the experience that he needed. And I think that they're going to have even more issues next year with another quarterback battle and you're adding another person into that mix when you add a high recruit. So I think that this long-term hurts Notre Dame more than it does short-term. I know. We could just get into all the quarterback stuff right now because the question if drew comes out and plays solidly and above average the rest of the year does that change the staff's mind at all about wanting cj Carr to reclassify because you know pine has all this eligibility remaining you know so like it affects that it affects what you just talked about with with tyler buckner and his development because even if this season ended up being a complete disappointment, it, at least the one, you know, one of the things that you could look at is, well, your head coach got on the job experience and your first year quarterback got all this invaluable first year experience. And now just, as you said, he's going to miss out on that. And no matter what, things are going to be muddled now at the quarterback position, unless Drew Pine comes out and, and doesn't you know to, so to answer that question you know it could change you know change their mind about CJ Carr but at the same time with the issues that they're having at quarterback right now it still kind of makes them want to say we'd really like to get CJ Carr here as quickly as possible and then you know you've got this question from Mark why is everyone asking <laughs> for Angeli before we see much of Pine is he supposed to be great? Honest question. Pine wasn't bad in 21 when everyone was clamoring for Pine over Cohen. And it's it's the great quarterback debate. And I, I was saw say this happens every single time. Doesn't matter who it is. Does it, you know, when Ian Book was out there, you you know, you had guys calling for for the next, you know, like Phil Jerkovic before Phil ended up leaving. And then, you know, it's it it just go on down the line. Brandon Wimbush. Ian Book, then you got Ian Book, and now it's we, we want to move on from Ian Book. That that number two quarterback is always going to be the most popular guy on the field. I mean, they were cheering Drew Pine wildly when he came on the field last Saturday, and it didn't take long. Now everyone's already clamoring for Angeli. And let's just Steve Angeli, I have no doubt, can be a good college quarterback, but let's not I, I see too many people wanting to base their judgment of him on one series at the end of an overblown scrimmage in the spring. You know, yes, he, he led a touchdown drive. There were a lot of walk-ons and third string players he was going against 
on that drive. You know, did he execute? Yes, but let's not base everything on that because how many times have we seen, not just quarterbacks, how many times have we seen a, a spring star who turned who, who we don't hear from for two years afterwards? You know, there's, I just, let's, let's let Steve Angeli actually learn the offense first because he's been the scout team quarterback for the last three plus weeks. You know, I the, the, whenever this kind of question comes up, the first thing I say is there's a depth chart for a reason. Guy, you know, these these guys have practiced and practiced and practiced, and guess who's been around them the most at practice? The coaches. And so when these guys come up with depth charts, they don't just make it up for no reason. They make a depth chart based on wanting to win and putting together the best possible team, especially at the quarterback position. So I just it, I, I hate that this this always comes up. It's always everyone always thinks that, oh, there's there's got to be something better. There's got to be something better. Well, there, there isn't, you know, and, and, and that's not I don't I think that's just kind of a testament with people being frustrated or thinking, seeing other teams and being like, wow, our quarterback should be like that. And so they see other quarterbacks doing well. And automatically the thought becomes, well, why can't our guy do this? Because Notre Dame is at this level and this, you know, we should we, we, we get players similar to this level. So. Why aren't why aren't we why aren't our guys looking like those guys from Alabama or why aren't our guys looking like those guys from Clemson? I think that with too much comparison rather than kind of appreciating, enjoying, you know, the the, the players that Notre Dame does have and, and thinking that there's always gonna be something better. So that's yeah. that's kind of how I look at that question. I just want to clarify the question that Tom made. He said Angeli's getting forty percent first team reps. That's that's not accurate. Marcus Freeman was asked about how the reps were being split at Monday's press conference. And he said, well, Pine is first team and Jelly is second team. And so, you know, the, there was, well, so what does that mean in terms of reps? Well, it means that, that Pine is getting 60% of the snaps at practice and, and Jelly is getting 40%, not necessarily with the first team, but he's getting 40% reps so he's getting reps but it's not all you know not all necessarily with the first team look he's getting more reps with the actual offense this week than he has had all training camp so for you know from training camp and and up to this point in the season so he's getting more reps I think we're going to see him at one point or another but it's a matter of when and you know to what extent because i asked marcus freeman could there be an angeli package and he said no doubt we've got to put it you know together a package of plays that you know that he's capable of running because right now saturday he's one snap away you know so that's part of why he's getting <laughs> right. 40%. what if Pine gets hurt <laughs> yeah yeah so you know even if it's just for a play or two angeli might have to get out there so you've got to have some things that he can do so I think let me ask you this though. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you think that Pine and his RPO mobile game is even more limited after what happened to Buckner last week and knowing that Angeli is the option if Pine <laughs> gets hurt? Like, are we going to see even quarterback design run plays for that reason? You know, like there's got to be a lot of timidness around. And Pine is very naturally athletic too, he can move with his feet, but. To right. what extent will we see that? Because it's one snap away, and you're already in. You know, you're you're on your third string, <laughs> your third string freshman quarterback. <laughs> no, I, I mean that's you know, and I, I do, and, and I was saying this the other day. I wonder 
like when you saw on Saturday them go back and forth, like, okay, now let's do some tempo and a little bit more RPO stuff. And, oh, now we're driving the ball down the field and we score a touchdown. And then they go back to some of the very basic things that they were doing prior to that with more 12 personnel and all those different things. I, you know, I wondered like how much they were trying to sort of bubble wrap Tyler Buckner for basically the same reason you're talking about with Pine to Angeli, you know, from, from Buckner to Pine, just based on what they were seeing from Drew Pine. And then what we saw from Drew Pine with the interception in one of his 11 plays that he had out, out there. I mean, it's a really good question because he does have some mobility. I do think the quarterback in this offense, especially considering the lack of overall running game that they have so far, the quarterback at least has to be a threat. And Pine does, he's not Tyler Buckner, but he does at least have some mobility i think he at least has to be a threat but I, I i don't think they want to run him any more than they have to because of the fact that yeah you do have a really really inexperienced guy behind him so if that's the case and you, you know you're talking about an offense that is built kind of around some some quarterback mobility and some rpo action having at least threat to run i say take that threat out of pine and make a guy like tyree that threat where you put two running backs on the field and you can fake a dive and throw a screen out to Tyree. And that screen can be there every single time and be kind, kind of become the option. I think that you hear Kirk Herbstreet say this a lot, that you know when you're not running well between the box, extend, make an extension of your run game. You know, get guys on the perimeter, short passes, screens, you know, those kind of things. And I think that's what this offense kind of has to become with Pine in there as I think that they have to extend their run game on the perimeter with guys like Tyree guys with like guys like Lindsay, they need to do more to get creative in the run game and do extensions of their run game. It, it, knowing kind of what we were I, just talking about. I agree with that. One of the problems though is, you know, again, based on the personnel that they've thrown out there so much with so much 12 personnel you've seen, and I've seen some comments here about, eight in the box and you know they're bringing the safeties down and they're doing all this you know that i think that's part of why they had a couple of, of those deep posts downfield they had a, some shots at those because yes because you know, you're on the seam yeah exactly because you know you're seeing you know when they are throwing you know the short and intermediate stuff has been a real issue but it's because the box is so congested you've got so many defenders i think close to the line of scrimmage when they did get deep a couple of times with with uh Lindsay, and styles. I mean, man, if they would have hit those, you know, again, like you're talking about changing the complexion of the offense, they need to be able to hit those. But I also don't think they can do it with the same personnel groups that they've been doing it with. And they can also accomplish some of that with more Chris Tyree on the field. Just I like making that this, sure that gets through. I like that this this Craig Sebring question, why not come up with a package with Tyree, Estime, and Diggs all on the field at the same time? You know, come up Come up with some misdirection. Estimate could be a lead blocker. He's so big. I mean, there's so many different things you could do off of that. And when you have, you know, their struggles and you got a new quarterback stepping in, I don't think that there would be any issue of coming up with a Chris Tyree uh, package or a package that includes all three running backs being on the field at the same time. Yeah. You know, again, like you can you could do that, I think, very easy. And like when you see the way Chris Tyree in the limited times that he has had the ball in his hands, the second effort that he has – and just what he is doing when he actually does have the ball in his hands. You know, like Tommy Reese was saying last night, well, it's hard to play three running backs. Well, don't play three running backs so much because one of them is obviously still hurt and doesn't want to block with that shoulder that he had surgery on after the spring game. Play more Estime and Tyree and then, you know, mix in a little bit of 
Logan Diggs if you want to. And again, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, Tobias Merriweather, the, you know, Tyree and Merriweather alone have skill sets that none of the other skill position guys at their groups have. They, they can do so much with those two and, and they can challenge defenses so much with those two. And then as you were saying earlier, you throw in Michael Mayer and your ability to challenge all three levels of the defense with those oh. three guys on the field at the same time, you're, you're creating such, such mismatch problems, you know, and it's, 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 it's just like knowing, knowing the amount of skill that's sitting there and hasn't been tapped into yet. That's part of what is so frustrating as well. Mind boggling. Yes. Okay. So going back to the quarterbacks, Brian says, I have a feeling people are going to be calling for Angeli by halftime, just like they were calling for Pine <laughs> when Buck Natural. was in. You know, I don't know. You know, I just I hope I hope that maybe preparing for a full game and you know, if Drew Pine comes out there with some of that swagger, then you know, maybe Maybe we see a different guy out there. You know, maybe we see the uh, the uh, MMA. What's the guy's <laughs> name? Connor, Connor McGregor. Uh, Connor McGregor. Thank you. I couldn't. Think, I, I kept thinking Flanagan for that. I knew that wasn't right, but yeah, Connor McGregor. We, you know, I like. Track. You know, I I like the confidence that Pine plays with. I think that's something that they're kind of missing right now is an offensive swagger identity. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I. I I have no problem with, with Pine playing right now. You know, you don't want to see Bugner get hurt, but there's got to be a shakeup. And I'm not saying it should have become via injury, but, you know, it, there just needs to be some sort of confidence. And I think that Drew Pine can provide that. I, I think that he's really going to let it sling. I don't think he really cares, but, you know, obviously he cares about throwing interceptions. I just don't think he really ultimately, he's just a gamer. He wants to do whatever it takes to make the right. play. Right. Tim wants to know if Tommy is the low-hanging fruit on the fire of the coach's tree. I definitely think he is. You know, again, it, it, it was not Tommy alone who's put together these game plans. Now, he's the one who ultimately has to call the plays, but I've said this multiple times this week. Tommy might be the play caller, but Marcus Freeman as the head coach, you know, whoever the head coach is, it doesn't, you know, not just this team, any – head coach ultimately has veto power and oversight over anything. Now he, now it's not like Marcus Freeman is going to take over play calling duties, but if Marcus, Marcus Freeman sees things that are working offensively after he has seen things that are not working, all he's got to do is say, do more of that, you know, do more of this, do less of that. That's all he's got to do as the head coach. You know, there, there are a lot of things that are on Tommy, but like when we're talking about play calling and, play selection and all these different kind of things specifically, you know, again, the head coach has played a, played a part in putting these game plans together because he is the head coach. And ultimately it is Marcus Freeman's name on everything. So I don't put, I don't put everything on Tommy Reese in this. I definitely think he's, he's some low hanging fruit in all of this. I mean, it is, he's definitely the low hanging fruit, but when, when you're in charge of the offense and you're in charge of play design and the offense is struggling and you're not using your best, you know, you kind of have to help yourself out knowing that you're the low-hanging fruit. But it does come down to him. You know, Marcus Freeman, at the end of the day, he is the head coach and everything does go through him. You know, it's, it's that yeah. final kind of verification. Now, I will say that there are times that, you know, maybe because Tommy has talked about, 
you know, two summers ago, he watched every play in the NFL and, you know, ch- you know, charted all this stuff and was looking, you know, now this past summer, he spent more time looking at college stuff. You know, he knows all these different concepts and all this different stuff. I think maybe, I, I think that they, they, they just need to refine this, boil it down, especially now that you've got a new quarterback coming in. I've talked so much before, you know, to get, this is part of what's baffling as well. I've talked so much before about how, Tommy Reese knows how to cater what he is going to do to the strengths of the personnel he has available. But really, we haven't seen a whole lot of that so far, with very few exceptions. We haven't seen a whole lot of that. We've seen just a lot of kind of mismatched and mixing and matching and and hodgepodging of plays out there. We need to see more of this is the strength of who we've got, and these are the players with strengths. Get them on the field and utilize them more. Definitely. All right. Luke wants to know, can Notre Dame still make the playoffs? I would say that that ship has probably sailed. That ship has very much sailed. Yes. Now they can still make a New Year's Six Bowl, I think. But playoffs. One loss. Sorry, two losses takes If you had only lost to Ohio State, if you didn't lose to Marshall, you're still in the picture. Because you were still a top 10 team at that point with a chance to to climb back up the poles, you know, if you if you run the table. But losing to Marshall, I think, is, is all but sunk that ship. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, Michael, I have to wonder if playing our defense in practice, who have been disappointing as well, gave Tommy too much confidence in his offensive line. I mean, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing, but that could be it because, you know, we looked at this defensive line as being such a strength, and they were talking about these battles that were going on and, you know, like, the defensive line was giving these guys or the offensive line was giving this defensive line such fits and they were battling throughout camp. Well, yeah, you know, if, 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 if it was because they were going up a defensive line that wasn't nearly as good as <laughs> they thought it was, that could definitely overinflate your, your opinion of that offensive line. Yeah. When you're not, you know, when you see physicalness and you know, you're going against what you see good matchups, you don't have anything to compare it with. You could be, and I'm not saying this is the case. It could, they could be the worst offensive and defensive lines in the country, but if they're going at it with each other and you haven't played anyone else, how are you to, to, to decide what's going on? So I do think that there might have been a little bit of um, overconfidence based on, you know, maybe they thought the defensive line was, you know, this elite group, and I think they have the potential to be an elite group. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, if the offense is doing well against what, you know, the is considered to be one of the stronger points of the defense and the team in general, then yeah, you are going to feel good about your offensive line. And 
kind of maybe have an overinflated outlook on things of, you know, what your play calling is going to be and, and kind of what, how you're utilizing different plays throughout the game. Yeah. Shaitan says time to take the gloves off and let Tommy run his air raid. I mean, <laughs> ah, nothing. As long as Tyree's involved in that air raid, I, I'm okay with that. And Tobias yeah. Merriweather. Yep. Yep. Why not put Tyree in the slot? <laughs> he can catch, you know, there's right. so many, there's just so many different things with Tyree and they're just not doing it. Jay Golden 44. What happens when we win 35, nothing? Does the storyline change to wow? Freeman made the changes and now we're ready to roll. I like this question a lot because I think that there's good potential that they do flip the game around this week and play really well. And, and then, yeah, it's like, what, what, what does the story become after that? Or or, or do the expectations come back to, okay, we're winning the rest of these games and we're ready to go. Now you just need to get that first one off his chest and, and take that weight off. So I'll be interested to see, you know, kind of, what happens after this week, because obviously, you know, there's going to be a winner or a loss. So if it's a loss, how much more are we riding on, you know, what's going on? Is this coaching staff, you know, what it's supposed to be? And then if they win, it's okay. How much were we overreacting? You know, what can this team accomplish? So I, I am curious to see what, what, what the outcome is going to be for those reasons. I want to see, you know, how the people react win or loss. DM wants to know how many wide receivers get at least seven snaps Saturday. Well, so far there have been, I think, four <laughs> who, have, who have probably gotten that many snaps. Uh, Lorenzo Styles, Braden Lindsay, Matt Salerno, Jaden Thomas. I think that's pretty much been about it. They're the only receivers with receptions so far this year. Biggest question, I think, is, is Tobias Merriweather going to join that group? What's, what's your gut say? Jess, are we finally going to see Tobias Merriweather unleashed on the world Saturday? I think we are going to see him, and I think it's for some of the reasons that we're talking about. You just don't have much to lose anymore. You're, 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 you know, you're sputtering on offense. You got a quarterback who's probably not going to run as much. There's not going to be as much RPO game. So what does that mean? You're going to have to pass the ball more and straight drop back passes. So I, I, I think that we'll see. I think we'll, I'll go on to say that Tobias has three catches on, on Saturday. I'm okay. not even snaps. I'm gonna, I will set his over-under at three, and I'll say that he gets that three. I, I would like to see that. I would like, and like if those three averaged around uh, 15 to 18 yards, that would be pretty good as well. I think he could catch somebody off guard at least once out there. Craig wants to know what happens if we finish eight and four. Pine does well. What happens next year with the quarterback situation? In my opinion, Pine is one, Buckner is two. I think they're going to battle it out in the spring. You know, you're going to have a wide open quarterback competition. And how is Steve Angeli a part of that mix? Because everyone wants to see Angeli a part of that mix. I, you know, I, I think that's what you're going to have because you're going to have three quarterbacks with a lot of eligibility left and CJ Carr knocking on the exactly. door. Exactly. This is what I was online. trying to get into a little bit earlier is Buckner getting hurt it, and, and then the common, I mean, there's going to be a quarterback competition no matter what, because Pine is going to get all this experience this year that Buckner is missing out on. And we're going to be in the spring next year. And it's going to kind of be like restarting with Buckner all over again. And then you're introducing another person. It's going to be a battle no matter what and if pine plays well it's going to make things even muddier so i think yeah. like i said i think that next year is is really what should be in question in regards to notre dame's quarterback yeah 
Shytown wants to know: Can anyone actually make a solid case? Salerno like is better question. than Merriweather. And I mean, if you want to run a possession offense, I suppose you can. You know, Salerno obviously saw the field against Ohio State. I, I can see the case for that. You're on the road, first game of the season, all these different things. He's the guy with all this experience, even though, you know, from a talent standpoint, he obviously doesn't match up with some of these guys. But you still had guys like Colsey, you know, still is not 100%. He's wearing a knee brace during warm-ups. And, and Joe Wilkins, you know, like, so you they obviously didn't want to throw Tobias Merriweather into that mix. So I think that that's why Salerno is out there. Where this offense is, though, right now, you've got to find a way to get Again, 10 to 15 snaps. They don't have to be 10 to 15 catches, 10 to 15 snaps for Tobias Merriweather. Because again, just, go ahead. Just getting him on the field is going to help so much with that confidence and him feeling like he, he that, that feeling of being overwhelmed just goes down that, that much when you get on the field and you realize, hey, this isn't so bad. I can do this. I can yeah. absorb this information. So if that's really the case, then there's just literally no excuse at this point, in my opinion, because you're struggling. And if you have a guy who's talented, but not might not, you know, be there all with the playbook, we'll get him some experience because it'll take that pressure off his shoulders. Right. John Gallagher for next year. Do you think they'll go to the portal for a quarterback? Very interesting. I, I think a lot of that is going to depend on some of these hypotheticals that have been bouncing around here. Like does Drew Pine overperform and show himself to be something other than what we think he's going to be right now. If Drew Pine finishes this year and he's like, man, Drew Pine was a heck of a lot better than we thought he was going to be, then I think that that probably alters, you know, whatever your decision is, because then, if, you know, if Pine does end up being the number one next year, worst case, you've got Angeli or Buckner as the number two. And they, you know, I, I know that there was at least some conversation about, quarterback and transfer portal this past off season you know they didn't see you know there was there was never anyone who I think that they really you know like that much but I I think it's you know this whole portal situation it's it's going to be year to year now and it's going to be you know it's like part of roster management where you are because you know what happens if a guy decides to leave and it's not just here it's everywhere you know they're 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 players leaving obviously all the time again we're going to see a guy coming in here to quarterback Cal this weekend, who we saw at Purdue last year, Plummer. You know, so there, there are guys. I mean, just look at freaking West Virginia, South Carolina, USC, obviously being high profile. Pittsburgh. Look at all the guys. You know, look at all these quarterbacks who are who have starting jobs this year who are on different rosters just last year. Yeah, I mean, there's. I can't remember who the quarterback was, uh, but there, I was watching a game over the weekend, and th this guy was a starter at like two different, he was a starter at a school last year, a starter at a school the year before that, and still transferred to his third school as a starting quarterback. So <laughs> that like the transfer portal is crazy because essentially, yeah, if, if they don't feel confident at quarterback, you can tap that and find a quarterback. And, you know, it's almost like your security blanket for a position that you, you, you have a lot of questions about, you, you know, you want to find someone talented that hasn't, you know, maybe gotten the chance to play as much. You can always kind of fall back on the on the portal. I definitely think that it's an option. I don't think that they'll go to it because I think that they have plenty of kind of 
the quarterback room has an abundance and it's only going to get more abundant as these next couple of years go on. Yep. All right. Great questions tonight. We'll wrap up our mailbag portion of the show. Jess enjoyed it as always guys. We appreciate all of your uh, questions tonight on this mailbag show we're going to be back tomorrow and jess is going to bring his analyst hat and I was we're going to say you're going to we're going to have a different kind of that's I'm right excited for tomorrow we can do a little preview of what cow is going to be doing that's right different conversation tomorrow with this notre dame cal matchup coming up saturday so we will jump into that tomorrow thanks again for all the questions tonight don't forget hit that like button subscribe rate review comment all that good stuff we do appreciate it it helps out irish breakdown it's going to do it for tonight we will talk to you tomorrow on ib nation sports talk For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.